Welcome to the Big Ideas for Small Business podcast, hosted by fellow small business owner, Tim Hayden. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Big Ideas for Small Business. I'm your host, Tim Hayden. Hey, normally when we interview people, there are people that I know that have been in my past, but we're interviewing someone today that I've not met really until today. So we've got Mike McCallowitz with us. Mike is a uh, American author and has got a lot of great things going on. But uh, Mike, if you will, first of all, welcome to our podcast. And uh, I'd like for you to, enter, uh, if you will, hey, will you introduce yourself and tell, tell our listeners a little bit about, about Mike? Yes, yes, I will. And, and Tim, thank you again for inviting me and for doing what you're doing for small business. Uh, it, it's good to hear someone going deep on the subjects and not always talking about big business. So kudos to you, man. Uh, um, so my name, for those that don't know, I'm Mike Michalowicz. Uh I am an author. Uh, f- that's my full-time career for small businesses. Prior to this, though, an entrepreneur, and honestly, I still run, I run three companies nowadays, but that's not my core competency anymore. I have people that uh, are now running those organizations um, in conjunction with me. Uh, And so what I've discovered, though, in my entrepreneurial years, ever since I graduated college, I've been running businesses. Um, The the dire, panicked, fear-stricken struggle of running business. I thought it was just me, and I, and I also thought the solution was just to grow faster, to grow bigger businesses and revenue, and um, have come to realize that revenue is predominantly a vanity metric. It does not make a good business necessarily, and that there's these other elements. So much so that my second business, um, I was, it was in computer crime investigation. My company actually helped facilitate some of the Enron trial investigation, and as I was growing that company, my second I'm sorry, my third year into it, we were on a run for $7 million in revenue, bootstrapped the business the whole way. We were pouring in money and we were losing it left and right. We had, I think, over $500,000 of debt. I refinanced my house. We were in check-to-check survival and uh, was lucky, lucky that it got acquired by Fortune 500 and sold out and uh, thought that that may be the solution to growing businesses. Just pump them up as fast as you can and then dump them as quickly as you can, the pump and dump strategy. Well, my third iteration was a calamity. I was an angel investor, arguably one of the worst angel investors of all time. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no right to be in that space. And business after business collapsed. I evaporated any of the wealth I'd accumulated in selling my first two companies and uh, realized I knew very little about entrepreneurship. That ultimately became the inception point for me was I needed to reinvestigate what I thought I knew about business. I needed to realize I knew very little about business and I had to find simplified ways to do the things that I was doing before because it was too complex, too heady. I was trying to take shortcuts and uh, decided that I would start writing my methods. Very quickly it became clear that I was writing books for myself uh, and ultimately books that could serve some other entrepreneurs. So for the last 10 years now, maybe it's 11, I've been an author. I've written um, five books. I have a new book coming out in 2020 and uh, have committed my life, I believe it's a calling, in fact, to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty, meaning no la- longer allow entrepreneurs to struggle. And that this perception when you start a business that you're wildly successful and the reality is that we have no time, we have no money, uh, we, ha- we, we are constantly in a panic to close that gap and to make entrepreneurs successful because entrepreneurs ultimately are the ones who fuel our planet. Oh, that's great. Hey, Mike, before we deep dive and get into the topics today, 
you know, you, you said you had three businesses that you were involved in. What timeline was that? Because you've been, you've been an author for the last 10 or 11 years, you said. So yeah. How, what kind of timeline was that? Yeah, so uh, I started my, I'm 47 now. I started my business uh, in 93. I think I started my first company uh, and it was in computer networks. I sold it by 2000 um, to what's called private equity. Uh, Build a little bit of ego and, and belief I could grow something even faster. That's when I started this computer crime investigation company in 2001 or two, grew for a few years uh, and sold it by 2004 or five. It's actually, uh, and I don't know if those dates are exact. You can go on Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, Wikipedia or some news articles and it talks about this, those companies. Okay. Um, but that was it. So, and then it was in 2008, which timed with the economic collapse that I had evaporated every penny I had. And uh, it was really around that time that I reinvestigated what should I do and decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna claw my way out of this hole and I'm gonna do it doing my calling, which is writing books as an author. Okay, that's great. You know, hey, so um, I, I wanna tell our listeners a little bit of my story and how I got connected with you. So I'm a, and our listeners have heard, I'm a leadership junkie. I love uh, reading leadership books. Yeah. I love listening to leadership podcasts. And one I've listened to for a long time is Entree Leadership. Yeah. And it was about, I think in 2017 ish, that um, you were on, I think Ken Coleman had interviewed you and it yeah. was on Profit First. And, and I had, and most of the time I'll listen to podcasts, I'm out doing yard work in the yard, cutting grass, whatever. But that's the first time that I heard um, from the personal side with, with FPU, Financial Peace University, and tying business into how you can run your business. And man, I will never forget, you talking about revenue minus profit equals expenses. So, mm-hmm. um, so my leadership team and our, our listeners know about our company. We're Sergeant Metal. We got about 150 team members. And we nice. read that book in 2017. That we oh, read about a book a year. And we implemented that in our business. So man, I'm telling you, it really works. So it's, it's an awesome thing. So I'll pump, I'll pump that book up. And then last year, we read um, Pumpkin Plant. So we, oh, awesome. we have pruned company. Pruned, <laughs> I mean, it's been, it's been really great. So I know you didn't write them in that, off, in that order. And we'll get into that some. Yeah. And then, uh, last year, let you know, and this is an old book, but our leadership team and all of our managers, we read The Four Disciplines of Execution. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah. we had, that's an old book, but we are going awesome. miles deep in there. And we really have one operational goal this year and that's to move the scorecard. So we've got scorecards in the plant. They're all electronic and we're just going further faster, but everyone's on the same page. We're all focused towards that. So, and we'll talk about your new book that I've already read that our leadership team's not, that'll be one of the next ones that we read to where, you know, it's clockwork. So I know I'm, I know I'm just, giving a lot of information right there, but I think it's important for our listeners to know. So I, I believe in what you do and I'm really excited to have you on our podcast today for the second time. So I just want to mention that. Thank you. Hey, so uh, Mike, um, describe your mission. And in particular, you know, what makes you want to write books? I know you unpack that a little bit, but go a little deeper there if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. So my mission, my life's purpose is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And as I was sharing, that's this gap. I bet you, Tim, the day you started your business, anyone listening in, I bet your friends who didn't have or don't have businesses looked at you and said, oh my God, Tim, now you make so much money. You're a millionaire and you don't work at all. You just sit on the beach drinking, you know, Coronas or something. (laughs) And the the reality is the outside world sees us as wildly successful. We often struggle. Entrepreneurship for many of us is very fear driven. It's, it's, there is no money. There is no time. It's panic. We're sacrificing everything we have. We sacrifice our family, we don't go on vacation. We go on workcations, if anything. It, it's, 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 we're grinding it out constantly. 
and yet we have to carry this air of success. So we're living this life of, like it's a bipolar life. We have to make people think we're one way when we're really another. That's why I call entrepreneurial poverty this gap. And it's, it's damaging. I can't tell you how many people in the entrepreneurial space struggle with uh, health issues, depression, um, because we're, we're in this bipolar life. So my life's purpose, because I've lived that, is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And I do that by uh, fixing, helping entrepreneurs fix all the challenging elements of business. Profitability, very few businesses have that mastered. I hope to resolve that with my work with Profit First. Very few businesses have mastered uh, the workaholism component. I hope to resolve that with clockwork, pumpkin plan, and so forth. So all my books are in closing that gap. There's 180 million small businesses in the globe uh, and the vast majority are struggling. So I'm hoping in my lifetime or perhaps maybe beyond my lifetime that my work will, will change these businesses to make them truly successful. And I believe as a result, the more successful small businesses, that starts to change our local communities. Small businesses are often entrenched. We hire people at our local or virtual help, but we serve other people. As our business gets healthier, so does their lifestyles. They become healthier. They learn these processes and techniques to improve their own individual lives or maybe spawn their own businesses. And so a business can affect a community, a community can affect a area and a country, and then ultimately can affect our world. And that's how I'm hoping to seed change. Uh, that, that's awesome. And I'll tell you, I know that the work you're doing is benefiting small business because it's benefited oh, ours. So we're one, you know, we're one that's on the other side that, man, you know, what you're doing is great. Keep moving forward faster because you've done a great job. Keep up the good work. I look forward mm -hmm. to seeing your 2020 book and what comes out. So, hey, so Mike, let's get into your books. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, you know, so you've written a handful of business books. Let's discuss them and what was behind each one. So if you want just start from the beginning and hey, then to qualify, I've not read every one of these books yet. So I've read. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I want, thank you for saying that. But I also want to say that's, that's okay. And actually that's more than okay. It's probably appropriate. You know, so, so people hear about my books and they feel like, oh, I got to read them all. But I believe that that's not the good thing. I mean, I, I fall in love with certain authors like Malcolm Gladwell's work, I think is world-class. Mm -hmm. He comes out of the book. I am buying it instantly. Uh, same with Seth Godin and some other authors. But I ultimately believe the best books to read are the ones that solve our biggest immediate challenge. So I encourage people um, to, to understand what their challenge is. I, I struggle with profit. Then I, you know, profit first may be the solution. I struggle with, with uh, business efficiency. I hope Clockwork answers that. But someone may say, you know, I struggle with hiring people. I haven't written a book yet on hiring, um, but there's great books out there. So, you know, seek the solution for your biggest challenge. So I tell people. With that said, I'll go through my books really quickly. Yeah. My first book was The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. That was my angry uh, freshman year, if you will, of authorship. And uh, just came to this understanding that it's the lack of things that actually triggers our greatest successes. The lack of money uh, brings about innovation. Uh, the lack of contacts and network bring about a, uh, a, different, a different perspective. A lack of education and understanding of our markets often makes us the rule breaker. So in Toy Paper Entrepreneur, I talk about the, the lack of things, how it's actually your greatest advantage and how to leverage that. My next book after that was The Pumpkin Plan. And what I found is uh, to grow, we have to say no. If you want to grow your business, you have to actually decline things. You have to prune your garden, as, as the analogy I use. And I studied colossal pumpkin farmers, found some practices they use to grow colossal pumpkins and translate that to business. Core discipline is you grow by saying no. Then I went on to write a book called Surge. Um, Surge is a perfect complement to the pumpkin plan. What 
there was one interesting facet when it came to marketing was how do you get you know, significant marketing momentum? How do you become an industry authority? And what I found was that any market, any community, B2C or B2B, B2G, government, any market we're serving ultimately will have shifts in their needs. And so Surge teaches you how to look at the, the shifting needs that a market has and then immediately put your offering in front of it so you can catch the momentum that's already out there in the market. It's the best marketing technique is the surge, the surge technique. Then I wrote uh, Profit First. And Profit First to date has been my most uh, in-demand book. It's, it's the most popular one. Because I think it's hitting on a, a, a tremendous challenge. 83% of small businesses, according to a statistic I heard, are not profitable. It's a check-to-check survival. Profit First is a very simple cash management system that will immediately and permanently bring profitability to any single business. Any business will be permanently profitable following this system. And uh, the nice thing is you don't have to be good at math. You don't have to be good at numbers. It has nothing to do with accounting necessarily. It all runs at your bank accounts. And so it captures the natural behavior of most entrepreneurs and channels that existing behavior we have, we don't need to change, to drive the results we want, more profit. And then my latest book uh, right now is Clockwork. Uh, Subtitle, like it says, Design Your Business to Run Itself. It's all about the efficiency of business, how we as someone that owns a business can organize the resources we have, which is our people, our technology, our equipment, even our customers, to choreograph them to work cohesively to achieve the outcome we want. Most business owners act like superheroes. We swoop in, we fix the day, we do everything, we carry the business on our back. And in Clockwork, I explain how that's damaging, how we need to transition to not a superhero, but to a supervisionary. And in my newest book, uh, I can't share any of the details yet, but I met with my publisher yesterday, and we are full go to early 2020 to release the book. And I'm in writing mode. I was writing this morning. I'm in full writing mode right now. Okay. Hey, um, tell me about just, and this is, this is completely off script, if you will, but tell me about your writing. Tell me, you know, do you, do you, uh, do you put certain hours aside each day as when you're writing a book to do that? How does that work for you? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no, of course I don't. Uh, so I, one thing already kind of is different than many authors, I think, is I work on multiple books. So I have, I'm working on three books currently. One is my concentrated effort and my other ones, I'm working on the theory component. So the first goal I have is to really get a thesis for my book. That's usually five years before the book comes out. So it takes me five to six years to write a book. I work on the thesis and I start doing interviews and testing. So the first stage for the writing is actually playing with this thesis, interviewing, uh, businesses, testing it out. It's really more of a hypothesis, the thesis. See if if I'm wrong until I've got it nailed down. Then uh, I go through an interview process where I interview people again, once I have nailed the thesis, to to get substantiating information and stories. And then the final stage is writing. And that's every morning waking up and writing. And that last phase of any book takes me about a year, yeah, about a year of just hitting the keyboards hard. And not, not long. I spent maybe an hour this morning. I spent writing. Uh, out of that, I got one story. But I'll do it, you know, 300 times over the year. So I'll have 300, you know, pages or so compiled. Um, and then I'll call it down with an editor and a co-writer. Um, and we'll get this nailed down. And then the book will come out. So it's a, it's a long process for me. It's definitely a labor of love. I'm, I don't consider myself an efficient or uh, effective or even an extraordinary writer. Um, but I do put an extraordinary effort in to make a book that I hope people see is great. Okay. You know, uh, I want to back up and, and talk about a couple of your books. 
But in particular, I want our listeners to lean in and listen to this. because I think it's important. Mike, every book I read of yours, I download the Audible. Oh, awesome. And I, and I have the book with me. So as I go through, I highlight as I go. I do the same thing. I love that. Really. And to me, you read all your books, or at least you've, you've, yeah, you've been the narrator of all your books. So to me, there's no one better to read the book than the author because you have the passion. You know, you know how you wrote and why you wrote. And to me, that's just that's a great way to learn, you know, in my opinion. Tim, I love you saying that because that, that's an important affirmation. Yeah, I feel the same way. I love when an author reads their own books. So I do that. And right, so a couple of things. I will read my book with my own sometimes peculiar sense of humor and um, my own emphasis. But I also do one thing that uh, not too many other authors do is I'll stop reading a book and explain why I've written something. In Pumpkin Plan, I didn't do it, but Pumpkin Plan, I'm actually going to be redoing sometime in the next uh, year. I'm going to be re-recording it um, specifically so I can add in additional content of why certain things are there. But in Clockwork and Profit First, uh, I spent a lot of time breaking from the script to explain uh, additional elements of the books so that the audio readers can kind of see this different perspective. Um, yeah, I loved it. I love no, reading books. No, that's, that's great. So, and I tell you, um, putting, putting my Audible on 1.5, a lot of times, depending on what book I'm reading, helps. I mean, I can keep up just fine at 1.5 speed. 2. Yeah, 0. well, first, first, I'm a northerner, right? You know, right outside New York City. So 1.5 is kind of the threshold because I speak so quickly already. Um, yeah. Some people, you know, some people you can listen at a two or even a two five. I'm not that guy. Like I'm a one fiver. I'm a one five. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Hey, so, um, you know, I know you, you quickly unpacked your books and, and we want to encourage our listeners if they haven't, you know, again, I would start with profit first. If you're a business owner and, and it's, and, Hey, you know what? We are a for-profit organization. If you run one, you know, at the end of the day, you don't want to kill yourself, you know, doing all the things that you have to do to your point. A lot of times you have to dive in, you know, like Superman, create the problem and then move on. But I think that, uh, you know, you have to make money. And yeah. I'll tell you, there's, and, and I think that this just hitchhikes on to what you're saying. I think there's as much or more pressure on small business owners as there is on doctors that are saving people's lives because we have so much on us. And again, if we can take the stuff off of us, that's, you know, that we can delegate. And, you know, some of your books talk about that, especially clockwork, in my opinion, yeah. from, from what I read. But um, when we read the pumpkin plan last year as a, as a leadership team, you know, a lot of people say, and we, and our, our listeners have heard me say this, we run a, a metal fabrication company. We do precision metal fabrication, real close tolerance, all kind of cool technology, robotics, all kind of neat stuff. But, um, you know, someone will bring you, bring you an opportunity or project. They said, well, you can do this. You do metal fab. And we have pruned away um, things that are not good fits, but it's hard for businesses to say no, Mike. It's hard oh, to say no. Well, you know, because the, the drug of revenue, it's like, oh, if I, if I just take on this one more client and we got CNC equipment anyway for our metal fab, we could probably throw some wood on there and start doing wood, you know, and, and uh, you don't have the right bits for that. It'll probably destroy your equipment. So you got to buy some new stuff, but it's instant revenue. Revenue, funny, there's a saying that revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. I have a little spin on that. I believe revenue is actually stress and profit is the equilibrium. And what I mean by this is every time we increase revenue, uh, we are putting more stress on our organization because revenue is, is not revenue until we deliver on the obligation. So therefore, revenue is an obligation. I sell something, I am now obligated to do work to earn that money they're going to give me. So revenue is obligation and obligation is stress. The more obligation we put on our business, especially the more diffuse it is, the more you know, over here and over there, the more stressful it becomes. 
there's more potential, there's more variabilities, there's more potential for problems. So the more focused we are, pumpkin plan, uh, the more narrow we are, we reduce variability and we actually compress that stress. The other part, the equilibrium to that is profitability. So as we increase revenue, we are putting more stress on our organization. We also need to, at an equal percentage, increase our profitability to bring about that equilibrium. And to me, that's the definition of a healthy company. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, and, I, and, and we all have to win. We have to win by making profit as that's business right. owners. And when we win, then we can choose to share with our team that's done a great job, which, which I'll tell you, we want to do. We want to share, you know, because they're the ones that get us there. I, I learned a long time ago, all we are is profit sucking overhead. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I agree. I think our team deserves to be rewarded. I also, though, do want to acknowledge the business owner. I, I, Tim, I'd argue for your business, you are the best employee that company will ever have. Mm-hmm. Your drive, your commitment, the sacrifice you make for your business. And I think it's, it's more than okay. I think it's necessary to reward ourselves. I think you deserve the profit. You started a business that now employs people. Those people have never had jobs, not with you at least, if you didn't have the courage to do what you did, Tim. So mm-hmm. I agree. We need to employ and reward our employees. We also need to realize we are employed and therefore reward ourselves too. Yeah, and, and I agree with that, Mike. And it lets you know, our listeners know, I did not start our business. This is my family's business. I'm third generation. Nice, so, nice. Uh, and a lot of companies don't make it third generations. And no. I have to say that I believe that we are, we are the, gonna be the most profitable generation. Oh, I mean, I'll tell you, dude, that is a rarity. Yep. Tim, I, it, the third generation is usually the plundering generation. Yep. First is the conception, you know, conceives it. The second one carries it and makes it big. The third one plunders it. I, I just love hearing that you're going to make it the most profitable. That's, yep. that's, a, that's a business that's going to live on forever. Yep, and we, and we hope so. That's, that's the plan. And we want to give my kids the opportunity I had. They may or may not be interested. And if not, we'll keep rocking on. So, you know. Well, maybe, maybe they want to be authors. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, hey, our daughter is a great author, by the way. She's a great Oh, author. there you go. <laughs> so we'll see. Hey, so um, if, if we got our listeners that are listening to us, they're starting to buy in, hey, you know what? I think, I think Mike's books are great. Man, but what if, they, what if they have never started? What if they've never heard your name or your books until now? Where do you go and where would they start, in your opinion? Yeah, yeah. So if they've never heard my name, so that's pretty normal. That's pretty typical. Uh, not many people know who I am. Uh, I hope my books will serve them though. So uh, I think the first spot to start is back to what's your biggest challenge right now? Um, I think it would be, if you don't have, if you're not struggling with profitability, I think profit first may be an interesting read, but it won't be applicable and therefore you won't take action because it's not your biggest need. You know, so where do you struggle the most now? Figure that out and then find the book. And if it comes to me, you can go to my website. It's mikemichalowitz.com. I actually have a shortcut for it. It's Mike Motorbike because no one can spell Michalowicz. <laughs> Mike Motorbike was my nickname in high school. So if you go to MikeMotorbike.com, you go into, into the books section. Each book there is described there and it describes the problem it solves. And maybe you find the solution. I think if you do, that's where you start. And if you don't find the solution, you know, hop on Amazon and start, or, or Google and start seeking out answers for your solution. And I think you'll find the appropriate book for you. Yeah, I think that's great. I want to go back just for a moment. I know we're jumping all around clockwork so yeah. um some i've got matter of fact here's my worksheet that i did with my time. oh nice yeah nice, so, brother yeah so so we're getting there but um ultimately the, the one the one big takeaway that i can't wait to share with our leadership team and all of our in our management is video training oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Video, video training, training. i mean Huge. 
man, I'm thinking about, you know, because and, and when, when you walk through that in the book, it just is so paramount that, you know what, and then delegate that training to the person that's going to be doing it and then let them make it better. Anything you want yes, to say about that? That's I mean, the key. Oh, so good, you know. Yeah, so the concept here is uh, traditional instructions used to be through what's called SOPs or standard operating procedures. Printed graphics, follow the manual. No longer uh, effective. Uh, we don't have the patience to consume it. We don't have the patience to write it. Um, it's a real calamity. Plus, technology in all industries, including metal fabrication, is changing so fast. Every year now, I don't know much about metal fabrication, but enough that every year brand new equipment's coming out, new technology that can enhance your business. Well, therefore, if you're an SOP for last year's equipment and you're engaging the new equipment, it's out the window again. So the better way now is through what I call captures. It's video-based or audio-based where you film the process. And the nice thing is you can even do it with a smartphone. You film it and explain it while you're doing it. Then you transfer the video to the person that needs to do it. They have a step-by-step -step script. There's a couple other though key components. The important thing is when the new person's doing it, first have them follow the instruction set. But because we want to delegate work to them, make sure that they are choosing uh, ways to improve the process too. That they, you've hired them not just for their ability in their hands, but also the ability of their mind. So allow them, actually encourage them to make decisions to improve it. At the end of a period of time, depends how long you think they need to master it, maybe a few weeks or a month or two, then require, and this is the key, that they film a new training video for the exact process, even though they're going to continue to do it. Because ultimately, the greatest student in every room is the teacher. And if my colleagues can teach the process, I know they've mastered the process. Plus, if my colleague decides to leave and pursue another opportunity, now I have captured and stored their knowledge. So they may leave, but their knowledge doesn't. That's how you use the system. I think that's, that is awesome. So I'm, I'm a, and what I've got to be careful of and is that I've read that and now we're so deep into 4DX. I don't want to vomit all this information on our team. Yeah, no, you're, I know, I know. And say, Tim, we're not even, we haven't even, we're just scratched the surface on 4DX and you're talking about the next book. You know, yeah. so, <laughs> that, that's what I want to do. I'm, I'm back. I've learned, I've learned the hard way, Mike. So. Yeah, no, that's smart. That, that's a sign of good leadership is to throttle ourselves. I, I just was at an entrepreneurial event and I came back and I got a book full of ideas. I can't wait to spew it. But I also know if I do, my team will sit here and say, oh, here goes Mike with all his ideas. And two weeks from now, we're going to go back to exactly the way the things were. I found to affect change, Tim, to your point, it's small molecular change. Pick one thing, keep beating that drum until it's in the organization and then pick the next most important thing. Yep, absolutely. So good stuff. Hey, Mike, I know you mentioned Charlie. What does your future look like? Uh, well, I, I believe the, the, until my final breath, I truly believe I'm going to be an author. Um, I believe I have about 20 to 25 more books I need to write. I have them categorized, but it's changing. Um, and uh, I don't know if I can keep a pace of one a year, but I'm going to try maybe one every two years. And that'll take me to my final breath. But maybe tomorrow's my final breath. I, I don't know. I just know that I have to write books that uh, can live beyond me and be of service beyond me. And so that's, that's my mission. Oh, that's great. I, I also though, I'm going to say rooted in entrepreneurship because I, I just love entrepreneurship. So I think I shared, I currently am involved in three businesses. Every time I write a book, I am going to be forming a business concept behind it. And then and working with a colleague to, to lead that company so I can stay rooted in, in entrepreneurship. Okay. Now that's great. Hey, um, you know, what is one uh, piece of advice that you would give our listeners today? Small steps, small steps. Dave Ramsey, you know, he calls them baby steps. 
with Profit First, uh, when we get businesses started, we have over 150,000 businesses now doing it. What we found is the successful implementations have always started off slow. Instead of doing an entire system, they took one piece. Tim, to your point, you're just doing the 4DX now. I, I would encourage anyone listening in, if you heard something here, like, oh, I can implement that, maybe you heard multiple ideas, just pick one. Just pick one that you think of the greatest impact and perhaps is the easiest to implement. That combination will likely be the most successful. Stick with that until it's done. That's the baby step. And then take the next and the next. And that small steps will start becoming a jog and ultimately a full-time sprint. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Mike, how can people connect with you? Uh, I know that you have a, what was called the Profit First Podcast. You've changed the name to... Yeah. Entrepreneurship Elevated. Right. Yeah. How can people connect with you? Yeah, so uh, I, I encourage everyone to check out my website. That's a great starting point. Um, I think you'll find it to be a different and unique website. Uh, I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. My articles are there. I have a podcast, Entrepreneurship Elevated. Uh, I'm a blogger. And all my books, uh, there's chapter downloads for all of them for free. It's at mikemotorbike.com. So just go to mikemotorbike.com. And I'm actually giving away Surge. That's one of my books totally for free right now. I don't know if we're going to do it much longer. But uh, if you go to the website, I think in the top right or something else, like get Mike's book for free, sign up there. And, uh, and it's, it's seriously free. You don't have to pay like a $7 of shipping and handling. It's totally free. Okay. Now oh, that's great. Mike, this has been an honor for, um, for me to have you on our podcast today, man. I hope, I hope that our uh, listeners got to lean in and, and learn a lot. And I know what you're doing great work. Keep up the good job. Thank you. The, the honor is mine. Thanks for having me, Tim. Yep. All right, everyone take care and God bless. If you'd like to continue the journey with us, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. If there's specific topics you'd like to hear, be sure to put that in the comments as well. We'll be launching a new podcast on the first Wednesday of every month. If you know others that would get benefit from listening to this podcast, please share it with them and we'll be seeing you guys next month.